If you have your Bibles, I hope you do, turn to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, we're going to finish up last week's sermon. I had no idea I would never finish up last week. Matter of fact, uh, it's so bad we didn't even get to the text last week. So anyway, uh, we're definitely getting there today. 1 John chapter 1. Uh, I do want to congratulate those again who are baptized, and uh, I know we have many guests who are associated with the baptism today, and we thank you for being here with us this morning also. Well, today, uh, I do want to review a little bit of what we covered last week to kind of set up for what we'll be looking at today. Uh, Of course, the title of the message is Society's Lies Versus God's Truth. And uh, the quote I gave you last week, I think it's worth repeating because I think we are definitely living in a day where this is true. The 19th century American psychologist William James once said this, There is no idea so absurd that if repeated often enough, will eventually come to be believed. And I think we live in a world like that. And I think there are messages all around us that are contrary to what we know is truth found in Jesus Christ. Now, some would ask, how is it that people can believe things that are so absurd? How, how do we believe? And, and the whole topic these days is the whole idea of fake news. How can we believe those type things? Well... I have a theory. I shared it with you last week, and I I really believe this is true. I think it's because we have so much information coming at us, whether it's through the Internet, through people's conversations, through television, through all these many outlets, that all this information comes in so fast that we don't take the time to contemplate that information, to to check that information out, to try to determine whether that information is a lie or is it truth. And then the flip side of that is we don't take time to study God's word, to know what the truth really is. And so all of a sudden, we begin to believe what society uh, dishes out, what they teach us, what they ingrain in us. And many people have fallen that way. Now, God told the psalmist, as I said last week, he said this, be still and know that I'm God. Y'all, that, that whole verse, that whole part, part of the verse is the whole idea of contemplation. It's the whole idea of meditation. And I'm convinced that is a discipline in a Christian's life that is, uh, that is not practiced today for many people. I think many of us, we take the reading of God's Word very seriously. Some of you do it through a daily devotion. Some of you say, well, I'm going to read this chapter today. And you do it diligently, and you're faithful to do that. You have a prayer time where you pray for people. You pray uh, for yourself. You pray about the encounters you may deal with on that day. You pray for your food. But there's one component that I believe that is missing that is causing problems for many people, even well-meaning Christians. And that is that they don't contemplate, they don't meditate on God's Word. I'm convinced of that. Again, it's just more information and we pile it in with the rest. When it comes to that whole idea, when, when the psalmist is told to be still, it's the whole idea, as I said before, of reflection, contemplation, meditation. It's really the whole idea of consider. The word consider is, is, is really a, a great word when it comes to understanding and contemplating something. The word consider means pay attention to, bear in mind. And then I love this one. To think deliberately and carefully. To know what's there. And then it says this, be still and know that I'm God. What God desires of each of us is that we experience him. 
that we come to an intimate knowledge of who he is, not only through words, but through our experiences with him. That is his desire. But the problem is most of us, or many of us, don't know him. We don't know him in an intimate way. We, again, we read the chapter, we say words in prayer, but do we truly know him? Now, John is going to attempt in 1 John to help us understand some of the lies that we may be believing. And the lies, I believe, again, develop around the whole idea of not really knowing God's word. And so what he's going to do, he's going to take the lie, he's going to expose it, and then he's going to give the truth. So look at the introduction down in your outline. In these verses, John is debunking the misconceptions concerning sin. He tells us what is being said and confronts the lies with truth. Now here's what's really amazing. These things that he wrote 2,000 years ago, these lies that many are believing are prevalent today in our society. They're all around us. It's amazing how 2,000 years ago something was written that can be so true for today. Now, many false teachers during this time were attempting to justify their sin. Many of the false teachers in that day, as a matter of fact, if you study all the epistles, you'll find out that I think right at 90% of them all address false teachers in them. They are talking about there's a false representation of who God is, who Jesus was, what his mission was about, and what people were believing about the very nature and the whole idea of sin. The same is true today. There's so many misconceptions out there as to who God is, what Jesus was all about, and also what it, as it relates to sin in general. As I said last week, the prophet Isaiah said this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Again, it's the whole idea of our culture. We are trading uh, uh, lies for what really it should be truth. And many times we see it around us. So, look on your outline. Why would someone live in darkness or believe a lie? Why is it that people are so prone, prone to live in lies, to live in the darkness? Well, I believe it's, again, like I said last week, it's not one of them things where you decide, I think today I'll believe this lie. I think today this will be a great day to, to believe this particular lie. So how does it happen? If, it doesn't, if it's not one of those things, what is it? Well, it's a progression. It's a progression. The progression of sin. Look at how it plays out. We saw this last week. First of all, we see the appetites of the flesh. It's the whole idea of sin being aroused in us. It's that whole idea. Now, one thing that I've come to understand about me, and I'm sure it's probably true of you, is that I've become very suspicious of my desires. How many of you ever thought of it that way? I've become very suspicious of my desires. You see, desire can be a good thing or a bad thing. But when your desire is motivated by the flesh, when your desire is something that comes deep within you, that that's one of them things that just is self-serving, and it's that, you need to be very suspicious of that. Second of all, we see the emotions of the will. So first of all, there's the appetite. There's something that generates from within us. The emotions of the will. That's where you literally throw gasoline on the fire. It's where emotions are intact. How many of you agree we live in a very emotional world? I, I am so sick and tired of everybody talking about their feelings being hurt. 
My word, we'll all be hurt. I mean, we, it doesn't matter what anybody says. And I, I, agree, I agree there are cruel things that are said out there. There are things that are, many things that are not justified. But the thing that we need to understand when it comes to emotions is emotions cannot be trusted. I, I'm, I'm here to tell you, I've lived long enough to know that. My emotions get me in trouble. Your emotions get you in trouble. And the thing that we need to pay careful attention to is that many times our appetites, our desires, we need to be suspicious of them, especially when it's moved into the emotional realm. But thirdly, we have the rationalization of the mind. You see, when we sin, I'm just going to tell you, we go all in. We do. We get there with the desire. We get there with, with, with the emotions. We get there with the rationalizations. You see, here's what I'm convinced of. A Christian, when they choose to sin, I believe it's the same progression as a person who doesn't know Christ. And what happens in them is they literally, to sin, they literally have to step across the Holy Spirit. I believe that. I believe when a a person comes to know Christ, the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us. So for a Christian to sin, they literally have to step on or over the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will bring that whole idea. You're talking about a conscience on fire. That's what the Holy Spirit brings. But you know what happens to many of us? And I've seen it happen. All of a sudden, we begin to be comfortable with darkness. I'm talking about those people who follow the light. They become comfortable in their darkness. And here's what many do. They begin to rationalize their sin. How many of you ever rationalized your sin? How many of you ever said something like this? Well, everyone else is doing it. Everybody else seems to be okay with it. Does God really care? And we begin to go into these conversations the whole time. The gist of what we're attempting to do is justify our sin. Because here's why we have to. For those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we hopefully, we, and I know this, we, we walked in light at one time. And so now we're choosing to walk in darkness. And so to be comfortable living in darkness, we got to justify it somehow. To feel good about it. But let me tell you this. I've justified or attempted to justify my sin in the past. And you know something? I might get away with it for a little while, but eventually it catches up. Eventually it's not what I thought it was going to be. Eventually it's one of those things that I have to start moving the other way. I was talking to a father the other day and they were talking about... Uh, he was talking about his daughter coming to know Christ. And, and, and basically his daughter, you know, came to know Christ. She was all excited about her decision. And she's going to follow Jesus. And, I mean, she was on fire. And about two weeks later she comes in and she says, Dad, I sinned. I sinned. You know what's interesting about that? I guess the young girl thought that after she gave her life to Christ, she'd never sin again. How many of you know that's not true? <laughs> and, and all of a sudden she's over here and she, she's in the light this is the picture and by the way children really do you know children really tell us how things really need to be sometimes and so she's, she's there and she's, she, the only reason she knew something was different because she experienced the light and all of a sudden she told that little white lie or whatever and all of a sudden she's over here you know what she's experiencing the darkness again and there's a part of her that doesn't want to be there she wants to be back in the light The only way she'll ever feel comfortable in the darkness is to justify or rationalize that sin. Here's a sad commentary. We as adults, we get really good at rationalizing our sin. 
We hear all the arguments that are out there. We hear all the talk shows. We read all the magazines and some magazines we have no business reading. And we're over there and we're getting all this stuff that's telling us it's okay. We begin to rationalize. Next, the pride of the heart. That's where we protect our sin. You ever approach someone they get real defensive? What? You know what they're doing? They're protecting their sin. I had someone talk to me between the services, basically said, you know something, I tried what you're talking about. I, I felt God was calling me to talk to someone, and I went to them about some darkness they were living in, and, and I was really surprised at the reaction I got. I said, what do you mean? They said, she, uh, that lady, he's, he said, she almost crawled all over me. And I, let me just tell you this, darkness doesn't like to be exposed. People in darkness don't like to be exposed. It's interesting, we just sang a song a while ago about being a slave to fear. Do you know what people's greatest fear is? I've, I've, I've read articles, public speaking. Have you ever seen those where public speaking is more fearful than dying? I've been there many times. <laughs> but, people, but you know what I'm convinced of? Knowing people the way I know people? I, I don't agree with I don't agree with all that. You know what I've come to understand as a pastor and hearing people deal with their sin and talk about their sin? You know what I've come to People, listen, are most afraid of being discovered. That's what, as a pastor for almost 20 years, that's what I've, that's what I've come to understand. People had rather take their own life sometimes than to be discovered. And what I mean by discovered, I'm, I'm talking about that darkness that they're protecting. I'm talking about that darkness that they're choosing to live in. I'm talking about the darkness they're choosing to justify. And all of a sudden, they're here. They never thought they could ever be here. And, they be, and the reason they protect it so much is because the pride comes in. And, oh, my goodness, what will they see in me if, I, if this is exposed? And, and they, many of them will take their own life before they're exposed. And we see that. The pride of the heart. And then there's the, the deception of others. That's where the sin is reinforced. we got a big old world out there telling us clearly that God's truth is just one version of truth. You determine truth for yourself. I mean, think about the epitome of rebellion. That's it. When you say, no, I, I will determine truth. I will determine truth. I will determine what is light and what is darkness. Did you know you can't really do that? You can't. It's either light or it's darkness. And, and, and it's there. And so what happens is you got the whole idea. We Listen, we've got denominations. We have churches. We have pastors. We have government. We have all those people. And these people are saying, hey, I want to be justified. I know it's not the truth of God's word. I know it's not what Christians teach. I know it's not what most churches teach. But I'm choosing to live over here. I want my darkness and my sin to be justified. And do you know there's a lot of people who will reinforce where you are in this world? That's exactly what's going on. That's the reason I believe it's a dangerous place to live in our society right now. And we need to pay attention. The progression of sin leads to spiritual blindness resulting in devastating consequences. And by the way, those consequences can be eternal consequences. So lies we believe. This is not on your outline, but these are some things I covered last week. Lies we believe about ourselves. You do realize our insecurities are born out of the lies that we believe about ourselves. Did you know that? 
You know what your identity is in? Isn't it amazing how everybody wants to identify this and identify with that and identify with this? If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, look, guess what? Your identity is not clearly found in your gender or anything else. It's found in Him alone. It's found in Him. That's where it says the phrase in Christ is repeated over and over and over again. Paul, if you say, okay, give me the gist of what Paul was teaching. Always oh, his teachings together. What would it be? That your identity is in Christ. And everything else flows out of that. That's what his teachings, if you sum it all up, that's what it is. And so all of a sudden, the lies we believe about ourselves, the lies we believe about God, there's a whole idea of that out there. And then the lies that we believe about sin and salvation. Now, if you were to clearly look, there are three debates that John's getting ready to raise. If you look at verses 6, 8, and 10 of 1 John chapter 1, here's what he, he says, at least the translation I'm using. He says, if we say that we have, do you know what he's doing? He's saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to introduce to you the lie that many people are believing. And then he's going to give the truth. So let's start. Look at the first debate. First, the first debate is this. Here's the lie. That light and darkness can coexist. There are those out there who believe that they can justify their sin in just the, just the right way in which they know it's probably wrong. They've read it in Scripture. They've seen it. Some, some places the Bible even says it's an abomination. And all of a sudden, they're standing over here and they're trying to justify their standing in darkness that they're standing in light. And you know what they're trying to say? That light and darkness can coexist. Physically, can light and darkness coexist? No. But there's what they're trying to do. And so you got this whole idea. First John chapter 1, look at verse 5. It says, this is the message which we heard from him. He's talking about his time with Jesus. Uh, the three years that he was with him and the experiences he had and what he taught. He says, this is what we heard from him. And now we're going to declare to you that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. I love the fact he added the phrase, at all. You know what he's literally doing? He's saying, you can't even argue that point. It is, it is what it is. He is light. What did Jesus say one time? We know when he said, I'm the way. We know when he said, I'm the, way, I'm the truth. I am the life. But did you, did you know there was a time where he said, I'm the light? I'm the light. Light is truth. That's what it represents. So he, he is truth. And then he says this, verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him, if we claim that we're over here, okay, in fellowship with him, walking in the light, and yet we walk in darkness over here, if we say we're over here, but yet we're over here, now think about this. We lie and do not practice the truth. We're a liar. We lie. We, we believe the deception. We, we want to believe it so bad to... To, to defend ourselves. And, and so you got that whole line of reasoning. What does it mean to walk? Anytime you see something in scripture where it talks about walk, it's talking about your lifestyle. It's talking about habitual behavior. It's, it's looking in the face of God and saying, yes, I know what, you, I know what the word says over here, but I'm choosing to, to live this way. It describes walk. Now, can I walk in light? The Bible says very clear, walking in light. That's the goal. But what do many people do? They choose to walk in darkness. Now, when it says we lie, it literally means we deceive ourselves. We cannot walk in sin and walk in fellowship with God. 
Sin will always be a barrier to fellowship with God. So here's the lie. Light and darkness can coexist. Here's the truth. Only light can produce fellowship and cleansing. And by the way, that's, that's everything that we need is fellowship and cleansing with the Father. So 1 John chapter 1, look at verse 7. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light. Okay, so let's, let's look at this. I'm in the light as he is in the light. Now, what does that mean? Here's what it means. It means I'm living truth. I'm living in the reality of what God desires for me. It means that I'm walking with him in the same truth he's presented. It means I have the same perspective. It means I'm seeing things clearly. It means I'm not being deceived. It means I'm not trying to, to get my own way. I'm living in a submissive role under the leadership of the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. And so you have all that. Then he says this. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship with one another. Now, here's what I found. The best fellowship you can have is when you're walking in the light and you look around, there's others walking with you. That's just a great place to be. Y'all, it's hard to live in the light and follow God in truth when you have those that are close to you and they're not and they're living in darkness. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you are married in that situation. Some of you have family in that situation. Y'all, that fellowship is broken. That fellowship will never be what it potentially could be. And so you see all this. And, and then he says, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, walking in the light, listen, describes absolute sincerity. It describes integrity. Okay? It, it means there's nothing to hide. I'm not afraid of being discovered over here because it's all out in the open. It, the sins that were there, none of us are perfect. We repented. We, we, we just let it be. It, not, no one has anything on us. Y'all, this is a great place to live. But you know where many Christians choose to live? In the darkness. You know, they don't want to be discovered. They're afraid of what it may do, what, what it may say. So what are the benefits of walking in the light? First of all, there's genuine fellowship. There's transparency. There's transparency. Uh, how about with one another? Oh, yeah. Some of the marriage counseling I've done in the past, and uh, especially premarital counseling, you know, you can give all this advice. You can give them all these, these beautiful sayings that are in Scripture. You can show them Ephesians chapter 5, a beautiful depiction of what a man and his wife should look like in marriage. But to me, there's nothing greater than that whole idea of what we call the triangle. The triangle is where we see our marriage consisting of three people. And God is at the top, and the man and the wife make up those parts in the, on the bottom. What happens is, as we get closer to God, what happens with that triangle? All of a sudden, those two people get closer to one another because there's transparency, because there's something genuine about that relationship. And that's what happens. So there's genuine fellowship with one another and with God. What's another benefit? We're cleansed from sin. Notice it says cleanse us from all sin. It, it means God does more than forgive us. It also means he erases the stain of sin. Do you know what the stain of sin is? I'll tell you what it is because I lived there many years. The shame and the guilt that comes with the sin. That's the stain of the sin. It's amazing. It is amazing to me. People who are Christians who, who know, who know, listen, they know God's forgiven them, but they have a hard time forgiving themselves. 
And they live in the guilt and shame. And what's amazing is they still, they, 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 they should be in the light. They should be living in the reality of light. But they're, they're, and the way I see it, they are. But the stain of the darkness is still there. And they still carry it. Listen, all that can be taken. When he says cleanses us from all sin, he's not only talking about the sin itself. He's talking about the stain, the shame, and the guilt. Next, the second debate, the lie. A person can live a guilt-free life. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the sin and the truth is not in us. I once met a man many years ago. Only time this has ever happened. He came up to me. He said, Pastor, I just want to let you know that I have reached perfection. <laughs> really? How does that happen? <laughs> I always thought you had to die and get another body for that to take place. There, he said it. Now, what does the Bible say? If we say we have no sin, what does it say? We deceive ourselves. What could I have told that man? I wasn't smart enough back then because I think I was only a pastor two years. I was like, wow, I didn't know that could happen. Bless your heart. Tapped him on the head. and he Anyway. <laughs> you know what it says? The Bible says he's a liar. We all have sinned. We've all come short. We will continue in this body. So he says, now, there, the, there are those who claim they had reached sinless perfection. The epitome, you know what I call it? The epitome of walking in darkness. That's what it is. Because here's what I know about my life. The closer I walk to tr in truth, the closer I walk with God, the brighter everything gets. And all of a sudden, I begin to see the stains of my sin. And I begin to see certain things. Uh, several years ago, I've told you this story. I went to Ridgecrest. I took a book with me. And it talks about all the different types of sins a person could commit. We're talking about physical sins. We're talking about intellectual sins. We're talking about sins of pride, all that. I went through each of those questions. And the only, thing, only conclusion I could come to was, wow, I'm pretty messed up. I didn't realize. You say, well, wait a second. The Holy Spirit of God lives within you. How did you know that sin wasn't there? I'm telling you. I didn't know. I didn't see it. Let me tell you why. When we're in the Word of God and we're being challenged by the Word of God, I'm not just talking about in this setting. I'm talking about when we go to camp, when we go to VBS, when we, when we uh, have our own quiet times, and we come under the light and the truth of God's Word and we begin to see ourselves as He sees ourselves. That's the only thing that matters, and that's what we need to be looking at. The problem with many of us, including me, is we start looking at the people around us and we say, well, at least I'm not committing that sin. How can they even do that? We're walking around with our own sin. How can you go after the speck in someone else's eye when there's a two by four sticking through your head? That's, that's what that verse says. Mm. 
If we walk in darkness, then we're not walking in reality God has provided for us. Next, we see the lie. There's a person who can live a guilt-free life. That's the lie. The truth is, sin is at the core of who we are and needs forgiveness. 1 John chapter 1, look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the proper attitude towards sin. It's not to deny it, but admit it and turn from it. Admitting we are sinners, not only by nature, but also in practice. We, you, we, you realize we were born in sin, right? Born in sin. Who, who, took, who, who gives us the, the ability to be uh, cleansed before God? Jesus Christ. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But there's, there's a problem here. So look at verse 9. Look at what, it's, what, it, what it says. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. This means that we encounter on this truth because of who he is. He's both faithful and just. Did you know that these uh, words describe the very nature of God? Did you know God's, God cannot act outside of his nature based on what the word of God tells us? And so therefore he is faithful, which means this, we can count on it. He's just, it means he'll do what he says. But in this is the implication of something called justice, which seems like punishment should be in order. Doesn't it sound like that? He's just. That means he's about justice. I'm sinful. Something needs to be judged, doesn't it? Something needs some justice done. That's where Jesus comes in. That's the reason that we can be found faithful before him and that. And so, so justice, it seems like. The problem is, listen, we have a hard time believing that. But here's what we need to understand. Every person can be forgiven. Every act can be forgiven. Did you know that? Some of you are sitting here today thinking, I can't forgive myself. How can God forgive me? I, I just can't. Yeah, you can. Every bit of it. Third debate concerning sin, the lie. A person is capable of achieving the ability of not sinning. That kind of goes back to the first one. First John chapter 1, verse 10 says, If we say that, he, that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Notice the progression of deception. Look at verse 6. It says, we lie. Verse 8, we deceive ourselves, but now it's grown. Look at verse 10. We make him a liar. You mean to tell me if I stay in darkness long enough, I'm not only deceiving myself, I'm, I'm sitting there calling God a liar? Yeah. That's what it turns into. We start doubting who God is. We start doubting that there even is a God. And there's all this. But the Bible says, for all his sin falls short of the glory of God. The sad part about this lie is that sin can, can that, that sin cannot, can be forgiven. It's a lie. It's what we believe. Now, Here's the truth. God has provided a way for our sins to be forgiven. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. He says, my little children. Now, granted, the reason he's writing little children there, uh, he's a man now in his 90s when he writes this. Okay? A person in their 90s can call anyone a child if they want to. Okay? So he says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Now, that's an interesting statement. And if anyone sins, he's saying basically... He already knows it's not possible because he already said it. But what he's saying is, I want, to, I want to show you there's a provision. Okay? And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is a perpetuation for our sins. And not only for ours only, but also for the whole world. Anyone else who wants to partake of this can have it. So what he's saying? 
So John is saying, let's come to terms with our sin. There's three phrases that describe who Jesus is and his mission. The first phrase is an advocate. It means someone who's called aside to assist. It's the whole idea of an attorney, a good attorney. Never mind, I won't say anything else. Second, second phrase. If you're an attorney, I hate I just offended you. I'm talking about criminal law. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, second phrase. Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus, it speaks of his human nature. Christ, it speaks of his deity, his mission. Righteous, it speaks of his holy character. Listen to this. All are necessary to become an advocate representing sinful man before a holy God. That's what's necessary. Third phrase that describes Jesus as a perpetuation for our sins. So here's what that means. Jesus the advocate, the attorney, is not pleading for our innocence. He's not standing before God and, and, and trying to justify our sin like we've spent much of our life doing. He's not doing that. He's saying guilty is charged. He understands that. He's not trying to discuss that we're innocent in, in and of ourselves. And so he does not attempt to hide our guilt. He, the advocate, is accepting the payment, the, the payment for our sin, to accept our sentence. So the word propitiation means that God's wrath is satisfied. In this context, in verse 2, it means that Jesus' actions on the cross, listen, satisfies God's wrath towards sin. Jesus is the satisfier of God's wrath toward our sin. Now, practically, what does that mean? Can you imagine going to court, being represented by an attorney, being found guilty, the attorney then stands up and asks the judge, would it be okay if I served their time? Would it be okay if I paid the price for their crime? That's what this verse is saying. Jesus, the advocate, became the one who was punished on our behalf. Justice is served, but it came at the expense of Jesus Christ, the only begotten of the Father. Let me tell you one thing. When we go around trying to make light of our sin... When we go around trying to justify the darkness we choose to live in and the sin that we're attempting to live in, do you see now how offensive that is to a holy God, a God who is willing to send his son to die for that cause? And we as Christians, and I've done it myself, and we sit there and we try to rationalize it, we try to justify it. Everyone else is doing it. We're making a mockery out of what his son provided for us. John Stott, a modern-day theologian, said this, The way to have fellowship with God who is light is not to deny the facts or effects of sin, but to confess our sins and thankfully appropriate God's provision for cleansing our sin. So here's the application. God is calling us to replace the lies we believe with his truth. That, will hap that, that, that we will understand, listen, in light of doing this process, that we will understand the, dep the depravity of our sin and the discovery of his provision. Let me just say this as we close. Some of you are sitting here today, and let's face it, look at the top of your outline. Your appetite has been aroused. There's some of you, the emotions have kicked in. There's some of you, you're starting to rationalize that it'll be okay. For some of you, you've actually committed the sin. You're on the other side. You're fully engaged in the sin, and now you're trying to defend it. And here's what's even worse. 
Some of you are deceived because the rest of the world is saying, it's okay. It's okay. You can put any sin in that and it works. It's the same process. Let me tell you something about the enemy. He's not very creative. God is creative. How many of you figured that out? Just look at, look at creation. I mean, look at some of you. He's very, I mean, we can call it creativity, right? He's creative. Okay? He's very creative. And here's what's interesting about that. The enemy's not. The enemy, what he pitched towards Adam and Eve in the garden, the exact same process, what we have right here, has continued all the way to King David. He fell morally, tried to cover sin, tried to tell everyone else, everyone else hey, you're king, it's okay. They're, they're reinforcing this deception. It, it went all the way to Jesus. Jesus is a mount of temptations. He's there, the greatest moment of his life, his baptism, the, the, the clouds open up, the Father spoke. I mean, you got all kinds of identity going on there. And all of a sudden, he's standing there and he's facing off with the enemy. You know what the enemy did? He comes at him just like he did Eve and, and Adam. And guess what? It's the same way he comes after us. He needs to be exposed. And for many of you, the only way he'll be exposed is you gotta choose to leave the darkness and walk into the light and not be afraid to be discovered because he wants to do things in your life that you can never imagine, like you'd never imagine. I'll ask the ushers to come forward if, we, if they would. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you and Lord, I know there's many people in this room and I look around this room and I'm, I have no doubt with this many people, there's some people that are sitting here today and they've walked into a, a place where truth has been, has been presented, where light has been brought forth. And because of that, seeing that light, maybe many have realized the darkness in which they're living in, justifying, trying to defend and Father, I just pray for those that are in that situation, Lord, that they would just refuse to not be happy or refuse not to, to, to live anywhere else but in light of who you are and your truth and the reality that you call us to. Father, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, they've never, never even experienced the light of what I'm talking about here today, that before they leave here today that they would come to me and we could talk about what that's all about. Father, we just pray that you'll just work in our hearts. Thank you for this offering. Thank you for what it, can, uh, what it can do and what you called us to. If we, as we already heard, Father, that you desire to do great things in each of us, but also in us as a church. Help us to be the shining light, not, not be the light, but a reflection of the light here in Cleveland County. Father, beyond that, to places like Nepal and other places as we send those out, especially the group that's, that's going out to Savannah next week. Father, we just pray for them. Just pray you'll have your way that they would be a reflection of your light. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I've just got one quick announcement. Uh, if you notice, the choir hasn't been on